0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Good morning. It is our time to come to God's Word. If you've not been with us or not been with us for a while, welcome back Texas people. So uh, we are in Romans chapter 9. If you want to turn there once again, Romans chapter 9. I have a little bit of catch-up work to do on some of my pictures, so I have one from last week from Malachi, and this was a great kind of a progression of what we read from John 18 through 20, I believe it was, last week, and and just a great job of showing even Palm Sunday, the entry, supper, betrayal, the trial, the crucifixion, and if he not be raised, our faith is futile, but he was raised. And so we have hope. So thank you, Malachi. Now there's a couple others. I could take some guesses, but I forgot to write down names. And I'm so sorry. I'm pretty sure this is maybe, this is Micah? No, Micah says... Who did I miss? Does anybody want to claim it? Devin, is this yours? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't write down names. If you drew this, thank you. The potter is with the clay. There's this one. And I think the next one was this... Weston or Marsh? Weston. Okay. I got one. One out of two. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't get your names down. But uh, yeah, there's Leonardo da Vinci looking at his picture, and the picture's speaking back, the Mona Lisa. Why did you make me? And we looked at that in Romans 9. You'll see that again as we read today. So, all right. Thank you all. Do this guy that can't remember a favor. Just put your little name on there. Help me out so I can remember. But uh, it's fun to try to guess too. So, um, all right. Well, we're here. We're in Romans 9. It's been a couple weeks since we've been here, so here's what I'm going to do. And just the section we're in today is kind of a kind of a, a conclusion of sorts, although it keeps going. And so I want to read, really start back in verse one, hear where we've been, and then come up to where we will be. Where we will be is uh, verses 22 through 29, but I want to start back in verse one. Let's hear God's word. Let's make that known, let's hear that first, and then we'll look into it here. So starting at Romans 9, verse 1, Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had "...done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy." You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed He says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word now, we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of ground in the past months here, month or two in this chapter. And here we come to this section on vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. And so many quotations from the Old Testament of your word. It is your word. It is your spirit who gives us understanding to your word. Would you just bless our time, guide us to listen and see with our hearts and give you glory for you are the Lord alone. Our worship shall be to no other. Lord, guide us in our time here, we pray in your name, amen. There is an assumption in terms of guilt and innocence in our country. You know what the assumption goes like, that, that phrase, innocent until proven guilty. It, uh, it has been, and I think continues in part, hopefully, Uh, although challenged, right, to be a hallmark of our justice system, this, this innocent until proven guilty. So it's a great hallmark that marks our country. But in terms of our sin and in terms of a holy and righteous God and his deserved and just punishment for that sin, that phrase may not be so helpful in those terms. And yet it may be the way that many people view the state of man before God, innocent before proven guilty. I mean, doesn't everyone get a second chance? Or everybody is human. We're just human, right? Nobody's perfect. So come on, God. Have a little grace, why don't you? Maybe is the thought. Most have have a good heart, or they mean well. And sentiments like these, they're appealing to see the best in mankind, but they fail in one crucial point, and that is man's view of man, tends to downplay, I think, the severity of sin and optimistically then look to mankind more highly than we ought. And it's only, as we know here, it's only through the light of God's Word, through the Bible, that we learn the true and natural state of any man. That state being dead in sin, or children of wrath, or... The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Or Jesus' words in Mark 7, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Today's passage, where we're going to look, it's a contrast for us, a contrast to see God's glory in His mercy amidst His just wrath. And the potter calls, not those who deserve to live, but those who deserve to die, and then he calls them in glorious mercy. We're going to look through and study these verses that we looked at. We're going to begin in verse 22. We had just looked at the potter and the right of his over the, the lump to make this and that. And verse 22 is where we kind of begin our specific study for today, where it says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And so verse 22 is connected back to verse 21 in the potter, but by way of just a real example of vessels and so the ESV at least I think many of your versions begin this verse with kind of a question kind of a a what if because Paul here I think is he's asking a question to help us understand the potter and the vessels that the potter makes so one vessel for honorable use one for dishonorable use And the answer comes, what if, kind of comes along, what are these vessels and how do we think about them in verses 22 and 23? We're going to look at God's purposes in this in a bit. It's all over the place in these verses. But let's try to understand first these vessels of wrath, vessels of wrath. There's various terms, even in the term vessel, various terms, I think I mentioned maybe uh, when we covered this two weeks ago. Terms like jar, a jar is considered a vessel. There's quite a few of these. Um, one is generically just something or things. So vessels or he's created things, you could say. Uh, one definition is a human being exercising a function. So kind of when we think of an instrument, be an instrument you know, of, of righteousness, be a, have a function, a tool, a vessel. For our context, we can think of pottery of the potter here and the various jars that the potter may make, each made for a purpose. But the context here, it goes beyond pottery, doesn't it? That's where Paul doesn't stay on pots. He goes beyond that. The context of vessels is that of people. People who might answer back to their molder in verse 20, Why have you made me like this? The answer God gives, it's not a detailed explanation. It's just simply, does not the potter have the right to make out of the clay whatever he chooses? And of the moldings, of the molder, come these these vessels of wrath here in verse 22 prepared for destruction. I think it can be challenging to understand, maybe we'd rather focus on Good things like the potter making vessels for mercy. That sounds positive. Like that's a that's a good thing in verse 23, and we'll look at that. But here are these vessels of wrath. And I think here they're vessels that are made, which both they both deserve wrath. We'll see this, but they also demonstrate God's wrath. Romans 1 speaks of the revealing of God's wrath. It says the revealing of God's wrath against all ungodliness. And unrighteousness of men. So a holy God is right and just to bring his wrath, his judgment upon sinful man. And here in verse 22, it's to the point of vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And here lie some of the questions that may come up regarding God's election of certain individuals. Maybe you have these, which the Bible calls His predestining, those whom He calls to salvation. You can look at chapter 8, verse 30 and see this progression of those whom God predestines, He calls, and He calls, he, He justifies. So, question, if God elects or He chooses certain ones to salvation, does He not also elect or choose others to eternal judgment or destruction as we have here in verse 22 the predestining of certain ones to salvation that seems quite positive that's a we like that I think we're maybe we're okay with that it's just when we come to this we go well how do we deal with God preparing vessels of wrath for destruction I want to offer two streams not not two views but I think two streams of thought on this and I think both have significant weight and both I would hold to both here Some, I think, would lie and say, more hold this. I I see both. Number one, so two streams. Number one won't surprise you for me to say God's decrees are His alone. God, Psalm 115, 115, verse 3, God does all that He pleases, and His kingdom rules over all, Psalm 103. In verse 18, if you just look up, Verse 18, he has mercy who on whomever he wills. Who does he harden? Whomever he wills. So either God is sovereign over all things, all people, events, circumstances, or he's not God or he's not sovereign at all. He's not mostly sovereign. He's sovereign. He reigns. He does. He says, I make this vessel for this purpose and this one for that purpose. That's what Paul's showing in the potter and the clay. And as God says some it's, I looked it up 187 times in the Old Testament, He simply says, "I am the Lord." So there's an aspect here, as we think through these questions, there's an aspect to God's decree that in the choosing that He elects this one and he condemns the other to eternal damnation, there's this sovereignty of God that's one stream. God's decrees are His. But there's another, and I think it's, it's equally important. And it's for us to think about the clay, the lump. The lump of clay is not neutral. John Murray, writing of Calvin's views on this, this area, it's an area called reprobation. It's the idea of God's choosing certain ones to help. It's very, it's, it can be challenging to think through, but here's what John Murray writes of Calvin's thoughts. He says, says this. I think it's helpful as we think through this. It kind of grounds us back to the whole counsel of God. It says, reprobation must never be conceived of apart from the ground or basis which resides in us for the condemnation that reprobation entails. some big words, just hang with me here. In a word, the ground of condemnation is sin and sin alone. And sin is ours, and ours alone. So reprobation always finds in men themselves a basis which never can be applied to the salvation, which is the issue of election. To reiterate, here we go, so help us again. Say it again. The ground of the discrimination that exists among men is, as Calvin has maintained, the sovereign will of God and that alone. That's kind of the first point there. God's decrees are His alone his sovereign will but the ground of the damnation to which the reprobate are consigned is sin and sin alone you see the connection there is God in his sovereignty and there is us in our sin well 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 deserving of that eternal damnation in discussing here these vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy think about this vessels of wrath vessels of mercy. We want to keep in mind, what does mercy imply? It implies that somebody needs mercy so that all of us are in fact, without a work of God, all of us are sinners. We're therefore children of wrath. And God is just to eternally condemn all of us. That's the bad news. That's our sin. And as Paul has shown, we can't question God on his will or answer back to God. He's the potter. So, again, there's God's eternal decree, but it's not separate from, I think, man's own sinful heart. A heart of sin deserving of God's wrath, undeserving of his mercy, and yet God gives undeserved mercy. And if your head is spinning a bit and you're not quite sure on the how and why, look at the title of our series God's Ways. His ways are inscrutable. We don't understand all His ways. We don't fully understand. However, what, what do we do? Well, I don't understand it, so I'll, th- I'll throw it out. I don't, I don't like this. Or try to soft, soften this sovereign God. He is sovereign overall. But we must submit, really, to the Word of God and to all the Word of God. Everything that's there. So God is sovereign. Mankind is fully deserving of that wrath. God is the Lord. But let us not miss, we'll just cover briefly here, that the wrath of God is purposeful. That's part of verse 22 as well. It's purposeful. He reveals his wrath. He makes known his power in it. I think we see, if you look back on verse 17 and the scripture to Pharaoh, I, I think we see this played out in the life of Pharaoh and God's victory in judgment over Pharaoh, over Egypt. But then Paul doesn't just leave us here with God's power displayed in his judgments, which are right, but verse 23 reveals to us more, and and a phrase, in order to, helps us see God's purpose in his mercy. So look at verse 23. So, endured with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. The story here, it's literally like a rags to riches story. The rags are wrath. The riches are God's glory. And just who here are the vessels of mercy? I think can they be no other than those to whom God shows mercy, His elect, His called out ones. Again, I think it's, it's fascinating when we think of this term that Paul, Paul gives to these vessels, vessels of mercy. Again, mercy implies one does not get what he deserves. So there's even God being merciful to the sinner. In Ephesians chapter 2, a very familiar passage the first three verses, Paul comments on the past life of all who were dead in trespasses and sin who were, and here's where that phrase comes, who were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy. See the connection? There's wrath, there's God's mercy. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together With Christ, by grace, you have been saved. And so what does God's mercy reveal? What does God's mercy make known? His glory. God's glory. So in light of deserved wrath and destruction, death and darkness, all according to God's definite plan, God graciously of His own will has prepared these vessels of mercy in the contrast kind of made me think of John chapter 1 and that thought of a world in darkness in which the light shines that's why you know a cloudy day and the sun comes up there's and there's light there's this light in a room in a dark room when a flashlight gets turned on it's this contrast there the true light who's the true light Jesus Christ the light of the world lit up the glory of God to do what to to show mercy on sinners and to save them and so God is glorified in this. Now, at this point, we are only two verses into the section, and I've got six more to go. I'm not even that bad on time here. Uh, but I, I won't be long, at least not, it's not too long here. Um, but I think these next six verses just speak and speak and speak into the glory of God in vessels of mercy. I want you to see that. They're not just, as you look, maybe you can see it or you have to turn the page. They're not just verses of, oh, Paul's using some Old Testament texts. I don't know, let's just skim through that. Let's hurry through that and get on to more of what Paul has to say. I think these these verses just drive us back to God's glory once again. Verse 24 lays the groundwork. It kind of completes 23, and then it will lead us into the rest here. So look at verse 24. Um, again, kind of, I'll back up for reading's sake. Verse 23 the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called. Not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. This verse seems to, again, give weight to the argument that this passage in itself is not dealing with mere nations and a, a national history of Israel. I think there's a view that it's just, it's just Israel as a nation and a view that way. I think this is individuals, because Paul brings here the metaphor, the figurative language of the molder and the potter and vessels, and he brings it into the reality that I would say he has in mind throughout, and that is the calling and hence the saving of both Jew and Gentile. It's a calling, if you still have it, if you look back to verse 11... A Calling that does, doesn't depend on birthright or works done by us. The calling's for the purpose of God's election alone. It's by God's will alone we see in this passage as a whole. It's not by man, not by man's will. It's the calling, and the calling comes. And God does all this injustice so that, so that no accusation may be made for God's injustice. It's God's right alone in what he does as the potter to do all he pleases. He's just. He does whatever he pleases. And so he calls whom he has called. And I think we hear in that a salvation call to faith, to justification, not from Jews, but also from Gentiles. But then these final verses, and now you start to see them. Maybe some of your versions have kind of a little more the, the prophet-type type indented uh, reading there. Verses 25 to 29. And again, they also bring us to God's glory, they bring us to God's word as well. A word that has not failed. You, you heard it in my reading this morning, verse, verse 6, where that implied question was, has God's word failed? Why, why is not more of Israel believing in the Messiah? Why not? Has God's word failed? That's kind of the question, and repeated throughout here, that we're going to see are these themes of my people sons of the living god a remnant who will be saved and offspring in light of destruction it's it's like a crescendo of god's word that paul uses here in fact to bring glory from so many passages to this sovereign call of god to save a people for himself look first at the first one verses 25 and 26 as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. The text here, and Paul helps us, he says in Hosea, you go, where is this from? It's from Hosea. It comes from a, a couple different places in Hosea One's, I think, in chapter two, one's in chapter one. I'm just going to make one note on Hosea, and we won't be turning to these, but you can look them up, and maybe you've got cross-references, and you'll see on the side or wherever your references are, cited from the one, Hosea 223, the other Hosea 1, verse 10. One note here, it seems that Hosea is not particularly a book uh, written to Gentiles, it's written to Israel. And yet here it would seem, as I read commentators and whoever, that Paul is applying this to Gentiles. And also because we see verse 27, Paul switches. He says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. And so Paul's putting Gentiles in Hosea that seems like a book not written to Gentiles. How can Paul do this? I think the best explanation is that unbelieving Israel, rebellious Israel in their sin, is really of the same status as Gentiles who do not know God. They are not the people of God. And so Paul takes a book, perhaps speculating, takes a book written to disobedient, wayward Israel, and he implies within it a call to Gentiles and all those in sin, really, and rebellion to God, those who are not my people, and they shall be called people of God. Now just look at the wording. Look at the wording that you have in in Romans here of Paul's attributing back to Hosea. You see there, you've got those who were not my people are called what? My people. Her who was not beloved. God says, I will call beloved. In fact, if you look it up in Hosea, the word used in Hosea, I think, is, is mercy is used there. And it, so there's some interplay with this word of mercy and beloved. I go, that makes sense. God, God loves, God mercies. And then you've got the last phrase there, they will be called sons of the living God. Can we fathom here, just to pause and fathom, my people, beloved sons of the living God given to vessels, really all of us, children of wrath, God's grace given out. And the glory goes to God who gives this grace to such unworthy vessels. They say, you're not my people, you're my people. You weren't beloved, you shouldn't be, you're loved. Sons, children, and we've seen this in chapter 8 as well. God's glory is made known in His vessels of mercy. Now look at verses 27 and 28. Here, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, "...though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay." Here again, we see this shift, I think, to the Jew referenced. saw in verse 24. These words that come from Isaiah 10. Let me read a little bit more from Isaiah 10, just a little before where this comes from. It says, it says there, In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, that was the, the Assyrian king, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. Here's kind of our... Our section, well, we're close. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness, for the Lord God of hosts will make a full end, as decreed in the midst of all the earth. In verse 28 in our text, what you've got before us, you read, the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth. In Isaiah, we find words like destruction is decreed or as decreed. And so God's sentence or God's decree, or I'd even say God's word, it will not fail. And thus destruction will come. It's coming without, fully, without delay. And yet, out of this, there's a remnant that will be what? Saved. It's salvation language here. Out of God's sentence and destruction, a remnant, chapter 11 of Romans, is going to call this this remnant chosen by grace. They will be saved. We can praise God here. His glory is made known in vessels of mercy, a remnant to be saved out of destruction. Well, lastly, there's verse 29. And as Isaiah predicted... If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. This one's coming out of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. And there you can read, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, it says, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The context of Isaiah chapter 1 explains why the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you know anything about them, why they're mentioned. Because Isaiah writes to rebellious children, a sinful nation. And in fact, if you read Isaiah 1, it sounds a bit like Romans chapter 3 and they all have sinned, there is none righteous, that sort of idea. And you know about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18 says their sin was very grave. Genesis 13 says now the men of Sodom were wicked great sinners against the Lord. And so in Genesis chapter 19 we see the result of the grave sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and that is destruction and this raining down of fire and sulfur and heat and judgment. But even there in Sodom and Gomorrah it was just it's just Prone, it's just equated with sinfulness and great sinfulness. Even there, out of that destruction, what does God do? He saves one family: Lot, his wife, until she looks back. But and their and their two daughters, out of destruction, I would say a remnant. And it's it's hard not to see in this even this illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah. An illustration of the idea of vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Sodom and Gomorrah, deservingly so of that destruction under the mighty plan of God. And yet the glory of God in the saving of Lot and his family. A mercy that would extend then to the offspring God. Calling his children, calling them by grace, saved out of fires really of judgment so we can praise God, his glory, his offspring, saved out of judgment like Sodom and Gomorrah. As we bring this to a close, I want you to look back at verse 13. And you, maybe I, say, why go back there? <laughs> Where it says, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Why come back to this place James White has said that any biblically trained mind ought to be thinking here as we look at that little phrase, Jacob I loved, Esau hated. A biblically trained mind ought to be thinking here, not in terms of why Esau was hated, but why Jacob would be loved. You see that distinction that he's making here? Look at why did hate why why Esau? That's just that. I think that's our proneness. Isn't he innocent? Kind of just a human, what did he have to do? I mean, yeah, born in, there's kind of that. Instead of saying, why would God love Jacob? Why would he love sinners? Vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy, they both have the same root problem of rebellion before a holy God. It's God's mercy and his alone that calls out, not because a vessel is deserving, but in spite of what that vessel deserves God calls out in grace and saves for his glory Paul has given us a glimpse and it's it's only a glimpse we see his sovereignty throughout the, I think the word of God we see this glimpse here kind of a, a pulling back of the curtains understanding the decrees of God and what he does sovereignly for his glory because he is God who are you a man, man to answer back to God But our task is not to kind of pinch ourselves and wonder, am I the called? Am I the the chosen? Or wonder, I wonder where God has destined me. Our task, hear me rightly, biblically speaking, is to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge and repent of our sin before this holy God and this righteous God. That's what we're called to biblically. And then we're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And by so doing, you'll be saved. Our task is to see our own sin. Has God shown mercy to you? It's by His grace, deserving of His praise. And so we want to see our own sin, and then we want to marvel, marvel at the one the Bible calls our Savior. Because what happened there? The one who did bear the wrath of God on the cross in place of sinners who said there it is finished and then three days later he rose again this is the God of grace that graciously would enter humanity taking on flesh living sinlessly all to die for the sake of his own that would call on him for salvation If you have not, today, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. All of us, we want to realize our sin once again. Were it not for God's grace, children of wrath left dead in our sins, but God made us alive by His grace. And all of it is to the praise of His glory once again. Let's pray. Father, I pray, I guess first, uh, just help us as a congregation. Help us as your people to understand your word. There are some things here to wrestle over. There are some hard things to understand. Oh Lord, the temptation is to give up. Go to the internet, get a quick fix, get a quick sentence or two to help explain and move on with our life. I'm praying first, Lord, that us, Bethany Bible Church, this home where people come to worship you, would you help us be a church of the word, a people of your word, that we devour it, we wrestle with the text, we look at what you've said, and in the end, Lord, each one of us, we submit to what you have spoken and what you have taught in your word, the truth that is there. And then Lord in the in the searching give us understanding and in the understanding Lord may it not develop in us any sort of pride of why God would choose me to know Jesus for we are so 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 unworthy all of us by nature children of wrath deserving rightly eternal punishment for our sin and yet in your mercy You have revealed to us your glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for this hope of Christ. May we marvel at the one. May we marvel at this picture of mercy and grace on the cross, dying, being buried, and rising to life once again, interceding forever for us, ruling now at your right hand. May we marvel at this one called Jesus us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.